family first, then the realm. That's how duty and loyalty flow. And if one is lucky, a little trickles down to self and loved ones. Let duty and loyalty consume all that we are and ever will be. Innocence and choice, those were never ours to have. Love is only reserved for peasants and poets. We are the children of great houses. We have legacies to protect, and the costs are high. But we pay them every time. But we suffer dire consequences. But if we suffer and die, we do so for house and the crown. This is a watch party of ice and fire. We are your hosts, Solar. Hello, everyone. Constance. Good evening. Uzma. Greetings, lords and ladies. Seven blessings to you. Morgan. Hi. And myself, Sam. Uh, in this podcast, we will be talking everything and anything A World of Ice and Fire. In this episode, we'll specifically be talking the new Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon. We're going over details you may have missed, lore related to the show, set pieces, costume designs, and of course, getting into each episode. This week, we are talking about the first round of promo pictures. Be sure to listen and pay close attention as you can elevate your maester's rank and win links and prizes by listening to the podcast and answering our trivia. Uh, Before we get into the episode, we are going to start with our segment, For the Love of Lore, where I'll be going over anything involving history, culture, customs, in the world of Ice and Fire. The Council will then discuss the lore and how it affects the current episode. In today's lore, we'll be talking about the Hightowers. The Hightower Sigil is a white tower with a flame on top. They're located in Old Town and are one of the most ancient and powerful families in all of Westeros. Most believe they're descended from the first men, but some believe they may have come much earlier as traders or seafarers. Either way, the ancestors of the high tower of the high towers have been around since the dawn of since the dawn age of petty kings occupying the black fortress that would be the foundation for the high tower. The high tower is located on Battle Isle, is the seat of House High Tower. Uh, the origins of the black fortress are unknown. Some people think it might have been an old Valyrian trading outpost. Um, they, some people believe that the maze makers created it. Uh, there's even a maester that believes that the deep ones, which are basically merlings as far as I understand, uh, created it themselves. Uh, the High Tower Kings built four towers on top of the Black Fortress and a fifth tower completely made of stone, potentially built by Bran the Builder or his son. That is the one that you see with the flame right on top. Uh, the, how to- the high towers are also responsible for the construction of the citadel, home to the order of the maesters. Old Town has been sacked many, many times during the Dawn Age by Dornishmen, Ironborn, and House Gardner, which was one of the many royal families during the time of Petty Kings. Uh, in response to this, the high towers built extremely strong walls and towers, and eventually they married into the gardeners. During the Andel invasion, uh, the High Towers were one of the few of the first men who actually sided with the Andels. Um, with this, they were able they were able to keep their lands and their wealth. Um, when this happened, they also adopted the Faith of the Seven and built the Starry Sept, which at that time was the home of the Faith of the Seven. At this time, they also began to accrue a mass amount of wealth due to trade and commerce. Uh, during the Targaryen dynasty, um, Aegon's conquest. 
uh, Lord Manfred Hightower was taking the High Septon's advice and not joining King Mern Gardner at the now notorious Field of Fire. After King Mern died, uh, Aegon traveled to Old Town on Dragonback, and Lord Manfred was like, yeah, come on in, don't even worry about it. Uh, Aegon's reign basically started, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, Aegon's <laughs> reign basically started when this happened, and he was declared King of Westeros at the Starry Sept by the High Septon. Uh, some of our notable High Towers, um, Cersei High Tower, who married Maegar the Cruel, uh, Sir Gerald Hightower, who was the Lord Commander of Eris's King Guard and who died at the Tower of Joy. Um, and of course, for the prequel series, we have Otto Hightower and Allison Hightower, which we will not get into right now for obvious reasons. Uh, what do y'all think of the Hightowers? They are one of my favorite houses, honestly. I love the Hightowers. Um, I just... Uh... I think about how much influence they had without being one of like uh, one of the great houses, never having a lord paramount or being the monarch in and of themselves. They hold so much authority, and their home base is basically like the equivalent of the city of Rome, or the the capital of the of the faith, uh, and they just kind of assert this general control that nobody really pushes against too heavily throughout the series is like when you think about the like the show game of thrones you don't even see the high towers they're just <laughs> sitting back doing stuff and everyone's like fighting each other and the high towers are like we're good everything's fine yeah we control what we control and you can all go fight each other and we'll still be here yeah, I was going to bring that part up, too. Like, I respect House Hightower, primarily because they remind me of, honestly, um, the executive branch of government or, you know, hmm. like the city comptroller or the Department of Energy or the FDA or, you know, all of <laughs> those things. Because they're busy actually running things. I mean, between mm -hmm. the fact that it's where the maesters come from, it's the head of the faith, um, yeah. it's where most administrative stuff isn't done, but it's really written, you know? Like, they're the executors of most of the logistics that go on in Westeros. So when it came down to, um, as, as Morgan brought up, during the entire Game of Thrones, they were like, yeah, yeah, you kids play. We're the ones that's making sure that the food is getting to where it needs to go. Um, and when you look at, say, the power behind the throne, like every single lord of every single house, big house, small house, um, even the crown lands, they all have a maester. And that maester is the mm -hmm. one that reads all the letters and does all the bureaucracy. So they're very much like, um, what's his name from Futurama? Um, Hermes. Hermes in Futurama. Mm. <laughs> Where like, Bureaucrat. you know, they, they literally, yeah, they're, they're the seat of bureaucracy. And whatever they end up wanting to go, goes. And whatever they don't want to happen tends to not happen in the long term which we'll be getting into in future episodes of this show when it comes to the dragon dance dragon dance dragon dance dragon dance <laughs> put that maester spell on me you know uh, i mean seriously so and the fact that the high towers are 
the chiefs of all of that paperwork um mm -hmm. makes them beyond formidable it really makes them their true power behind everything that happens in all of these stories so respect and fear is where i come from yeah well there's one more high tower that we didn't mention that is actually marjorie tyrell oh yeah mm -hmm. the the oh, wife of renly right. baratheon and the wife of tommen uh, she was actually married. She was actually the daughter of a Larry Hightower. So the Hightowers were married into the grand seat of the Reach. And through them, they had someone on the throne as queen. In a very precarious position, as, as we know what happens to Marjorie, sadly, <laughs> in Game of Thrones. Well, we don't know for sure, because George has already said that his version is going to be a little different. So we'll see if the same fate befalls her, but the Hightowers and the Tyrells have been very closely intertwined, which just proves that they've got the kind of power to put someone in a place of power. Mm -hmm. Right. They can, they can probably, they've got more control than they real than anyone realizes because of like Solar was saying, they've got control of the maesters. They've got control of the faith through their location. It's kind of like Washington DC where you have all the central powers located in one key place uh, only I'm sure it's not as a, a, a unpleasant environment as Washington D.C. can be, but <laughs> I would um, argue that. <laughs> yeah, at least it has like it's like a beachfront property, though. You know, yeah, like, it's, it's <laughs> got its, yeah, it's got its own you know coastal bay with a yeah. beautiful watchtower, the lighthouse, and so pretty. But yeah, so I think. I think they've got more power than anyone really realizes. And this is going to be kind of cementing that power that they have over the realm is what we're going to see in, in the uh, house of the dragon. I agree. Uh, like Morgan said, they have never been, especially before the dance, they have never been in a seat of power. They have never married into uh, a Royal family or, uh, but uh, they are, they have the power running b behind the scenes. Like, uh, as Solar said, they have the power of the maesters. Maesters are basically kind of advisors to the lords and kings. So they have uh, they have built uh, the maester old town there. And uh, at that time, uh, there was no sept of Baylor. Baylor. So uh, they built built the starry sept, which was a kind of. Uh, a very important part of the faith of the faith militants and. Uh, the followers of the faith so they had the old town and the starry sept so they have two powerful things at their in their hometown even though they weren't married uh, in any important houses i'm not counting series high tower as a power uh, because uh, she was married to megor the cruel and she was one of the six wives <laughs> so yeah. i won't yeah. count, count that as something powerful yeah, and That's props fair. to Morgan. The the um, the analogy of the Citadel being like the Vatican is a really apt comparison, because um, Old yeah. Town really does control the souls of Westeros, along with the logistics of distribution of food and other um other really important things to have during the day like horses and things like that especially Ships. because of its proximity to the reach which is where most of the food in westeros grows so mm -hmm. their relationship with the gardeners and then the tyrells 
have always put them in a literal stranglehold over the population of Westeros. You know, and thinking from a democratic paradigm, ooh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially when you've got the whole faith militant situation early on in uh, after Aegon the Conqueror dies, well before these events of the prequel series, and you've got the faith militant going off and trying to overthrow Targaryens and trying to assert religious power, and they were all answering to the to the high towers in the end the mm-hmm. high towers were able to basically destroy an entire generation of targaryens yeah <laughs> do you think they were behind the faith militant the high towers oh absolutely oh yeah honestly i don't think that anything that spawns from old town ever gets started without the okay from the high towers like right, that, and that's where I think they are. And the High Towers decided when Targaryen forces were allowed into Old Town and when they weren't. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they were the gatekeepers. They did all of that. And we've got the Grand Maester and the High Septon both coming out of Old Town <laughs> consistently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's two positions on the small council. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, and good luck getting to see a doctor without going through those head nurses. And that's really what the high towers mm-hmm. are, you know? Mm-hmm. For sure. Well, that is the high towers. So moving on, we have the dragons in the details where Constance and Uzma will be going over small details you may have missed in the last episode, as well as the fantastic costumes, props, and sets used. Today we'll obviously be talking about the promo pictures. Uh, after you, Constance and Uzma. Right. So this is the first batch of photos that was released from Entertainment Weekly. Uh, And this gave us kind of an idea of who our primary players are going to be, giving us a peek at them so we can get an early idea of who it is that we're going to follow through the House of the Dragon. And if you're ready, Uzma, you want to bring us up? Yeah, we are going to, uh, we have picked 10 pictures and we are going to discuss those pictures in detail. Okay. So the first picture is of Damon staring at the Iron Throne. You can uh, see he's uh, looking at it longingly. Maybe it's just me. Do you think he's looking at it longingly like he wants to sit on the Iron Throne? It's a very very thoughtful expression. I mean, he's either very considerate of the person on there, which I doubt, or he's looking at it with kind of like his own perspective of oh that's what i would look like sitting on there mm. i just got yeah, the vibe like he really wanted the yeah. power to sit on the iron throne and that's why he's looking at, at it and the, you can see he's uh, resting his hand on the pommel of his sword you can see the dragon egg there and on the extreme right you can see the tower where there were engravings of Aegon's conquest which we discussed in our previous episode and on his belt, you can see a, what I think is a whip. Because uh, Targaryens used to uh, have whips to control the dragons. Even in the books, Danny used whips to control Drogon, which we didn't sh- see on the show. Yeah. And uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, considering he's a dragon rider, it doesn't look like it a sword. It looks like a whip, right? It, it does kind of look like a whip, yeah. 
because uh, I don't think Dark Sister has a sheath, does it? Yeah, uh, he has Dark, sh- uh, dark Sister beneath his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on his belt, it has to be a whip. And on his uh, coat, you can see uh, the buttons, which are, looks like Targaryens. As Solar said in the previous episode, they are trying to show us that they, uh, the Targaryens and the fire everywhere they can. And you can see the dragons on his coat. You can see it more clearly in the uh, tra- promo pictures, uh, like here. You can see the uh, dragons. What do you think about this, Constance? Beautiful Celtic network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, now the next picture we've got is for Alice at Otto at what we assume is the funeral that we saw in the last trailer. Um, judging by the coastal shot behind them. She's got on a costume that we're going to see in several other shots. Uh, this is her necklace here that we've highlighted. It's uh, We see her wearing this necklace quite frequently in other, in other scenes. So we know that it's something she very much favors. It's a series of gold discs with uh, a chain across the, the, the bust. And she's wearing a black French, a silk French hood with the most ornate little beads and gems and a hood. And uh, it looks like that Otto is wearing a very somber, toned-down robe with a doublet with silver buttons and, of course, the hand of the king pin. Uh, It's a very sober picture. The two of them look very serious. And as you can see, she's wearing that same outfit in the promo in the trailer video when she's running towards the camera with the dagger. So we know that it takes place sometime after that scene because she's lost her headdress. She's in disarray. Uh, so we know that those two scenes are going to be linked to each other that way. Yeah, then we see uh, Alice and Hightower sitting at uh, what I think is the high uh, table at the feast. You can see there's a king's guard behind her. And uh, j- based on the seat, uh, the chair, the back of the chair looks like a flower. And if you'll see at the trailer where we see... Uh, we discussed in one of our previous episodes how uh, the empty chair between Lord Lionel Strong and King Viserys was reserved for Queen Alicent. And I think we see her sitting on it now. You, you can look at the back of the chair and it's in the shape of a flower. What do you think, Constance? Well, I think that's a pretty good theory. I mean, we know that she's at this feast. The in her back position. of the chair looks the same, right? The back right? of the chair does look the same, yeah. You could see it even better if you look to the right of uh, Ranra. You can see yeah. a better view of the... T- yeah, right there. You can see that it is that fanned uh, palm kind of kind of logo. So it has to be that same chair as in the, at the high dais. Uh, next is a shot of Otto Hightower, the hand of the king. He's going to be our little figure figure. Uh, little finger figure for this series he's the one with all the political power he's the one that has all the plans all the schemes um and you can see that he's wearing the classic hand of the pin design that one hasn't been altered from the the secondary series he's got on a silver chain and a very somber black doublet again he dresses very simply this is a man that does not need to show off his wealth through his dress He's an understated kind of character. He's not gaudy. He's not flashy. He's dressed just as you would expect someone of his servitude to be. So that way he doesn't look like he's trying to play the power game. He's, he's dressed very understated. And this is something that we've seen in his other pictures. 
in the books this chain is linked by joining hands and is it just me or does uh, at some places does it look like uh, a hand the links joined by hand to you i was looking at a different picture of the same costume and it does not resemble the the one that eventually shay gets strangled with you know the hand the hand necklace of the king that we saw in the other series so i don't think that's i don't think that's the case with this one Okay. Next we see uh, Lord Corlys Velaryon with Rhaenys. It looks like Rhaenys is very upset and he is trying to console her. In the background, you can see the banner of House Velaryon and on the extreme right side. And on the extreme right side, it looks like uh, a driftwood throne. Uh, what do you think, Constance? Could be a replica of the driftwood throne. Um, yeah. It definitely looks like it's some kind of uh, art object. It's on a pedestal, so therefore it has some kind of importance. It kind of looks like a face to me, actually, when I'm looking at it from this angle. It's a face looking over to the side with like kind of curly hair. But it's like, look at the cloud. What does the cloud show you? You know, it's <laughs> it's up to anyone's interpretation at this point. So we'll we'll see what that is when we get a better shot of the scene. I got the feeling like it was a small statue of the Driftwood Throne, and there mm -hmm. was uh, some small uh, figure sitting on the on okay. the throne. Mm. What do you guys think? Yeah, what do you all think? I can kind of see both both ways. Like it, it really is like a Rorschach test, of course. Yeah, it's just kind of blurry. But I, I can kind of see that figure when when Uzma describes it, and I can kind of see the face when Constance <laughs> describes it. Yeah, honestly, I can't not see the face. It's looking like it's it's facing toward the right side of the screen as if to say, uh -huh. hello, I'm a face. Yeah. But looking at it, like, <laughs> if you blink, you can definitely see a chair shape with what would mm -hmm. be the hair of, um, or the top of the skull of the face being the back and somebody just kind of like mm -hmm. slumping on the throne like, oh, yeah, I'm on this really big chair. You know, so mm -hmm. I'm kind of looking forward to see it because the Valerians were known for bringing back things, just stuff on their journey. Yeah. You know, so it could be <laughs> yeah. an old art piece that survived um, the Doom of Valeria. It could be Ooh. something from, yeah, it could be something from the places of Grayscale. Who knows? Who knows? It, it's, or it could be, you know, a prank from someone in the art department. But, um, the show, the show will definitely <laughs> tell. <laughs> yeah. Ah, here's a beautiful picture of Rhaenyra. You can see that she's wearing a dark, a dark embroidered gown with little pearls or, or white embroidery and a fur hood. So it looks like this is a cloak or this looks like a jacket that she's wearing. And she's got an interesting little clasp there at the center that we've highlighted. Um, it looks like a, a dragon pendant to me, again, with the Targaryens enforcing that theme of dragons, dragons, dragons. But you can also see the, uh, the beadwork on this and the pattern on the fabric uh, that just shows that she's a woman of wealth. Again, she's also kind of like Otto in that regard. She's rich and she wears understated clothes, usually in black and red to, for her house colors. But she's not gaudy. She's not ostentatious. She simply is a creature of power and doesn't need to anyone to reinforce that. I don't know why it looked like a seahorse to me. <laughs> like, 
Yeah, it wouldn't. I don't see why it would be a seahorse though, because she doesn't have the ties that she would to the Valarians. Yeah, <laughs> at least not 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 at this point at the story. But but the dress uh, looks like the one she uh, she was wearing at the funeral scene. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it is. It looks because it looks like she's outside again, so it's yeah. possible that this is. The you can same see the scene in the background. Yeah. So we know that Could that's going to be an c- integral role since we've seen so many pictures of it. Then we see uh, King Viserys sitting in the council chambers and you can see the dagger and the Targaryen sigil behind it. We've already uh, discussed this uh, in our previous episodes. And on the table you can see drinks and it looks like a fruit on the p- plate or something. Uh, what do you think uh, it is? It looks like plums. Yeah. They look like plums to me. But, I mean, this kind of just reinforces that that cat's paw dagger that we've seen so many times. That this is something integral that that at least they're establishing for later use. It's, you know, Chekhov's gun. We keep seeing the cat's paw blade (laughs) there prominently displayed. It's going to have to have some importance because we've seen Alicent running with it. So we know that dagger's going to get used at some point in time. That dagger is everywhere. (laughs) That dagger's everywhere. (laughs) Let's see. So what do we have next on our list? I believe it would be, ah, Miseria, the white worm, uh, Damon's lover. She's wearing this beautiful white silk cloak that looks like tree branches. It's just woven in such a way and crinkled so that it looks like the entire thing is a white forest. She's got this gorgeous silver clasp at her throat and a beaded necklace, a beaded chain around her collar around her neck and silver earrings. And she's wearing all white underneath, as is her her habit. I don't think we'll ever see her in anything other than white. I think every costume she wears is white, and her dress even has little white leaves on it, and with the cloak of the with the cloak over it of the branches. So it's a very beautiful image to kind of invoke that winter forest, the purity kind of thing that she goes for, which is a complete contrast to who she is. But we'll get into that with the episodes as that goes on. And doesn't it look like she is in a cave or something in the background? Yeah. Uh, you can see, I don't know if it's a tree branch or a torch or something. Yeah, looks like an axe maybe or some kind of branch. But, you know, it, it does look like a cave, which could be Dragonstone. Could be. And we have already seen Damon in the caves. So maybe she mm-hmm. is meeting exactly. him or something. Yeah, it would make sense if she was involved because of Damon's connection to the the egg that we've seen in the other trailers. So, and we've already seen both of them uh, at Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. So With it the could egg. be, yeah, <laughs> could be Dragonstone. And in the next picture, it looks like Rhaenyra is very sad, and Alicent is trying to console her, but uh, her maybe it's maybe it's just me but doesn't it look like her face uh, by looking at her face like she is scheming or plotting or something like as she her actions are telling something completely different she, she is trying to hug her but her expression is saying something completely different what do you think oh i would agree i mean like i said the high towers are the ones that are playing the game of thrones and I think the friendship with the princess is all a part and parcel to gaining power and trust. And so every move is calculated, every word, every gesture, I think we're going to see that coming out of the high towers, like we did with the Tyrells and Marjorie in uh, the, the Game of Thrones proper. Can I offer a differing opinion real quick? Sure. Sure. 
so I just want to say that just the way that they're looking, it looks to me like they're looking in a mirror together and they're meeting each other's eyes in the mirror. Not like she's looking off or like thinking of something else, but that they're really connecting. But there's a, a, a mirror in front of them. So it looks like they're looking in different directions. That makes sense. Uh, well, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, interesting. I've, I've seen people do that kind of expression before in that situation, <laughs> and it's usually a little more intimate, a little softer. Uh, so, I don't know. I I don't quite see the scheming the way you guys do. Yeah, yeah. We didn't think about the mirror. So, if uh, they are looking at the mirror, maybe it's possible. Uh, but Renira does look uh, sad in this, <laughs> and uh, her costume. Uh, her dress is, uh, I think it looks a lot uh, like the one she was wearing at the tourney. What do you think? Uh, actually, based on that dress, I think it's the one she's wearing for the ceremony, the swearing in. Uh, that crimson with the very ornate embroidered wrist cuffs looks yeah. more like the ceremony dress than anything else I've seen so far. Yeah, I don't have that picture right now, but uh, yeah, we can, uh, we discussed it in the last episode. Mm -hmm. So... If you guys want to watch that picture, you can uh, check out our previous episode. It's a gorgeous costume. True. Ah, here comes Sir Kristen Cole, the handsome knight. Look at this guy. Look at those, look at those chiseled features, that, that beautiful dark flowing hair, that neatly trimmed beard and mustache. He is the picture of what a handsome knight should be. He's described as having beautiful green eyes and coal black hair and was said to be exceptionally charming. And they've decided to go that route with casting a very good looking actor to play him. And this is a gorgeous photo of the King's Guard armor. You can see all the ornate detail that's gone into that plate armor with each of the bands, each of the crests. It's an absolutely gorgeous picture, and he's kneeling, so it's possible that this is when he takes his oaths. Uh, but he was he was just a a he was a commoner. I think he was from uh, he had Dornish uh, descent, right? Yeah, he was, he was from, from uh, Blackhaven in the marches. Yeah, and uh, it I tried to look it up. Uh, I I can't see any sigil, but uh, there's something here, right? Yeah, it looks like a really ornate, just ornamental design. I don't see anything that I can pick out of it. Like, it doesn't look like a dragon. It doesn't look like it's any kind of, you know, symbol. But it is a beautiful piece to go along with. If anything, it looks more like a flower or something. <laughs> it does kind of look like a flower, yeah. But I think this is from his from when he was either sworn to be... Uh, I think this is when he became a member of the King's Guard. I think that based on the costume, based on the kneeling. So we'll probably get to see that in the episode. So that's all for uh, today's segment. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Rennells, and with my friend Katie, we are both working to create and share art for all of our favorite fandoms at 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. We have bookmarks, so many stickers, earrings, prints of all sizes, super small, and all the way up to 24 by 30 inches to really show off all of your favorite characters. We have coloring books, keychains, and always more on the 
way. So if you want a Hobbit Hole bookmark or a set of Legend of Zelda Korok earrings, stickers for all of your favorite Marvel characters, or a big wall art poster of the Night's Watch Vows words so that you can recite them every time you need to pump yourself up, head over to 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. You can even use the code WATCHPARTY10 to get a 10% discount. That's 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. So now we have our main segment, Fire and Blood, where the whole council digs into the series uh, and some of the bigger moments. In this case, we'll be talking about the promo pictures. Uh, Morgan, you have some questions for us? I absolutely do. Uh, first of all, I just want to say those are some pretty awesome pictures. I really love just staring at them. Aren't they beautiful? <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Uh, a question for all of you. Uh, what character are you most interested from the promo pictures uh, of this set? Wh what character are you most interested in and why? Let's start with you, Solar. Um, honestly, I'm really interested in checking out King Viserys Targaryen. Um, okay. Most people's exposure to this... Um, to this franchise has been through the eyes of negative press regarding the Targaryen dynasty. <laughs> like, you know, the old show was like, oh, if it's Targaryen, it's bad. When the Targaryens are born, the gods flip a coin and hold their breath, you know, waiting for the penny to drop. And it's like, through the histories, Viserys Targaryen was not a bad king. He wasn't a bad dude. And it would, it's, it'll finally be good to see at least the trope of the decent-esque king within this world that we've set. Because the last show made it very clear, if you're a good person and in power, you have a job for life, just not for long. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, maybe three months, that, that's, that's about it. Outside of that, you're going to get beheaded or set on fire or poisoned or whatever, you know? And um, so I'm looking forward to see if they break the trope of good people don't last long in power and bad people stay there forever, which was a really big theme of the last show. You know, it took yeah. a dragon attack to get Cersei out of the thing. It took three and a half seasons to get Joffrey out of there where everyone's going, God, why are you still alive? You know, <laughs> and Tommen got what, five episodes? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, nice he's good. yeah, you know, so. Um, so I'm really looking forward to see how this guy is going to be depicted in the sense of, um. According to the histories, of course, they're all unreliable narrators, but the histories don't have a whole lot bad to say about him in regards to taking care mm -hmm. of the people, making sure the kingdom was cool. Um, they weren't at war. They weren't conquering. The economy was strong, that kind of thing. So I'd kind of like to see he's that. Definitely no, yeah, he's definitely no Robert Baratheon. No, or <laughs> Magor the Cruel or Aegon the Unworthy, you know? Um, he's kind of like he a solid in-betweener, you know? He's not the most mm -hmm. popular Targaryen on the block, but definitely not in the nerd bank. So, 
and I, I'd really like to see that. I would really like, you know, so through the king's perspective, it'll be nice to see some stuff going on where it's not every single house um, doing backstabbing to see who's going to be king. But us, I guess you can say a lower, a lower or a fight for a lower power level, you know. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to seeing how he rules. Mm hmm. He just wanted everyone to get along. <laughs> yeah, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> a hard job in Westeros. Like, I named my daughter my heir. Shut up. Can we get, can we get these people fed, please? Can, can we do that? Like, and <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be played like the president from Dr. Strangelove, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Uzma? For me, uh, the character I'm most interested in is Damon Targaryen. <laughs> Knew you were going to say so that. Cool. <laughs> Uh, those eyes, those cheekbones, that Matt Smithiness <laughs> of it all. Mm-hmm. That's how I wanted <laughs> Rhaegar to look. But besides his look, uh, he's so complex. Like He's not completely a good character, but there is more good in him than bad. Because uh, he was loyal to his king. He never rebelled against him. And uh, he did mostly good and punished the bad guys. Although he did went overboard a little bit sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> little, little excessive. Well, he was committed to being good. <laughs> kind of like Dan- Danny. <laughs> At least until season eight. <laughs> what do you think, Constance? Well, based just on these photos, I really want to see more about Missaria. I love her dress. And she's 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 a character that in in the books we see only through mention of Damon. We don't know much about her personality. We don't know anything about who she was, what her motivations were. It's just that she was a, a lover and uh, may have been like his his master of eyes and ears. But that's it. There's no character development for her in the books whatsoever. So seeing her with the fashion, you know, this this leaf motif with the white wood cloak over it, it just kind of makes me want to know what's her angle. What is her role? What is her passion, her desire? And she's absolutely lovely. And that, you know, that always is a nice little touch to have beautiful, beautiful people up on screen to look at. But I just kind of she's mysterious. Right. And that's why I want to know more about her and her character. Um. Can I ask a costuming question about this or a wardrobe question about this? Sure. Looking at her looking at her picture, I'm getting very much like a Tolkien high elven feel. Yeah. With with that woodsy theme. Yeah. Yeah, with the leaves, the leaves on the dress and the and the tree branches on the gown. Do you think that's like an intentional thing from the designers kind of going, "Hey, by the way, we're fantasy?" Or even maybe a dig at another show that's coming out later, or what? <laughs> I, I know oh, it's funny, I, but it's a serious question. Like you know, no, no, it is it is a legitimate question because everything that you see on screen is intentional. Whether it's because they felt that this was a really cool fabric and they wanted to use it, which could very well be the explanation, or they wanted to invoke a certain kind of mystery about her. Like, but the elves in Tolkien, they're graceful, they're slender, they're kind of mysterious, they're otherworldly. This look kind of gives her that. Where everybody else around you is wearing very dark colors, she's wearing white. Which is both an homage to the character description 
and a stylistic design choice so that she stands out amongst everything else that that you see. It makes her very unique and different. And that may be why Damon's drawn to her. Hmm. Because she is so different from everyone else around them with the dark colors of, of Westeros. You know, I read somewhere, an article somewhere, that those those who wear white are kind of like bold and brave or something. So, I don't know. <laughs> Think of it this way. How hard is it to keep white garments clean in Westeros? You know, how hard is it to keep white garments clean in Los Angeles? I mean, seriously. Exactly, right? So it's, it's, it's a baller choice to say that I'm wearing white, which is expensive and hard to keep clean. Yeah. And she's so going it's, in a it's cave. Like a power pl- going in a cave, walking on the beach, right? So it's kind of a power move for her to say that I am standing out intentionally amongst all of these people. I want you to look at me, look at me, look at me. So I think we'll see more of that when we get to know her personality during the course of the series. All right. What about you, Sam? Well, I guess like, I mean, when I was first, you know, seeing these pictures, I, I was, you know, like um, kind of like Uzma interested in, in uh, Damon, you know, for like Solar said that Matt Smithy Smith Smith. And then, <laughs> of course, and then like I, I was into kind of Otto Hightower because I feel like he's an interesting character and I'm excited to see how he plays out. But after um, Constance and Uzma's breakdowns, I'm I'm more interested in Sir Kristen Cole, aka Sir Bay Bay, uh, just because. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sir, just, hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> but like he just that armor is just so cool, and like I mean, he like you know like Constance says he is like the epitome of a knight. So I don't know that the armor is like really cool to me. And Nasaria also, like, I didn't, like, I, you know, I, I hadn't seen all those details of, like, the, of the cloak that she's wearing, and it's so cool, and, like, I kind of think it's interesting that it kind of almost looks like branches, because, correct me if I'm wrong, but she's kind of, like, you know, kind of, like, getting all the rumors and stuff, and kind of reporting back to mm-hmm. Damon, so, mm-hmm. like, it's almost kind like her... Kind of like that is... Yeah, so it's yeah. almost like her cloak is, like, the... It's like the the branches going out and getting all the rumors and reporting back. So uh, after your breakdown, I was like, these are some cool pictures, you know. So <laughs> I, I think that I think that from the pictures, I think that those two are my I'm I'm, I'm most interested in as as of now. So yeah. Wow, he's been converted from Sir Bebe of House Want One. <laughs> that is kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm all about Sir Hot stuff, but you know, I'm sorry, I wasn't good too. So. <laughs> Is this is this podcast going to turn into a drinking game every time we come up with a sexy nickname for that night? Take a <laughs> <Yeah>. shot. <laughs> I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah, so yeah. romance of book covers. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm going to answer now. Uh, so, for me, I really am interested in Alicent Hightower. Like, she is treated, like, like, like Constance and Uzma were already talking about how they, they think she's scheming. I, I don't necessarily see it. Like, I, I look at her, and I see a woman who is torn between duty and loyalty, right? The stuff I was mm-hmm. talking about at the very beginning of this podcast. She is doing everything she can to get through this high-level society that she is in, this high-risk. She's been made a queen 
We know that things are going to go wrong for her to a certain extent. We've seen the images of her holding a dagger looking panicked. We know things aren't going well. Well, it's also Westeros, so... Yeah, it's Westeros. But also, like, we see when she's younger, she has this connection, these connections, these friendships. And as she's getting older and the more power she's getting and the more responsibility she has, these friendships are falling away. Rivalries replacing them. I want to see how she's really handling this. Did Was any of this intentional? Or was this just something that's happening to her and she's just trying to make it through? I don't know. I... I empathize, uh, and so I really want to know where she's at. Alicent only pawn in Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> no, Alicent straight. Um, so with that, I actually have a follow-up question to that for you, um, Morgan. Would, uh, everything that you described gave me flex or gave me visions of Sansa. Would you say that there yes. is kind of a poetry between the two characters? Yes, and not just because they're both my type. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, like like with, uh, that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing Allison being in this position, even if she's not mar- like married to a sociopath or what have you. Even if she, even if her husband is a good man, she's still stuck between all these powers, right? She is still struggling. She still, she has family to protect and she has responsibilities and she has so much weighing on her shoulders and we don't really see much about why, why she makes those decisions that she makes in the story. Uh, And so I want to see the why. I want to understand and I think I have an idea of where they're going to go with it because I don't know, I, I like to write. I know how I would write it. Uh, but I just, I want to know it, she, she seems so pulled in every direction. And the same thing was with Sansa. Sansa was pulled toward various things. She had these desires, this innocence when she was young and then everything pulled her in every direction and she became what she had to be. And that's what I think Alicent is going to be. I would like to add, I think she is more Cersei. Um, in fact, when they auditioned for the role, they actually gave Cersei's lines uh, to see uh, who is more suitable for Alicent. Hmm. Where do you think uh, Sansa ended up at the end of the story? More like Cersei. <laughs> I'm just <True>. saying. <laughs> Without the, the psycho bitch angle. so. Well, she's young yet. <laughs> yeah, give her time. Yeah, what we saw in Game of Thrones, right, is we saw... Sansa's journey to becoming Cersei, in a way, right? We saw Sansa develop, become harder, learn who she had to be. What I think, because we know that we're seeing young Alicent and older Alicent, I think we're going to see that journey really condensed, and we're going to see the before and after. That's what I think. I guess, like, like going kind of off of that, I'm... one thing that I feel like Game of Thrones has always done really well is bad dads. And uh, with Allison... <laughs> ah, yes, bad know, dads make has, bad children. <laughs> right, so I'm thinking maybe like Allison, Otto Hightower, you know, we know he's got his own kind of plans. I could see a, a bad dad situation going with yeah, that what too. Would happen so. if so- yeah, what would happen if Sansa was actually Littlefinger's daughter? Look. <laughs> <laughs> um, Death. Lots and lots yeah. and lots of death, you know. And I'm pretty lots. sure that's what we're in for. 
<laughs> We're in for lots and lots and lots of death. <laughs> Just saying. It's a George R. R. Martin Spoiler story. Alert. Yeah, Spoiler it's going to happen. Yeah, they Spoiler call alert. The George R. R. Martin special. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll take two bad fathers and three, and then he dies, please. And um, yeah. I'll have a Diet Coke with that today. So yeah. that, do I get a yeah. toy with that as well? <laughs> <laughs> you do, but yeah, you'll miniature copies of Blackfire. Yeah, but you know, it, it'll slice up your mom's hands. You know that. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. The little toy. Little toy dragons about that big. Yeah. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Collect them so, all. So remind me of Tywin. <laughs> mm. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. But most most good hands have a lot of that in them because Tywin very much reminded me of an evil version of um e in a very evil version of my favorite hand of the king, you know, Brendan Rivers, you know, in the sense of, yeah, I'm going to have to do something terrible, but eh, it's for the good of the realm. So, yeah, let, let's get this going. <laughs> so, you know, just add ambition to that. Everything is for the good of the realm. <laughs> Yeah, say that to somebody in Flea Bottom. <laughs> I'd like to see what their reaction to that was. I'm just saying, if they have to die, it's for the good of the realm. I, I don't make the rules. <laughs> well, I think we'll actually get to see some of the action in Flea Bottom based on oh, the yeah. last trailer. Yes, showing Damon in the uh, the gold cloaks kicking in some doors, you know, and they did call him Lord Fleabottom, so that'll be mm -hmm. that'll be some fun to see some of the, the other side of the coin rather than just what's going on in the in the court. Yeah, rather than okay. just riot scenes anytime anybody's walking through the seat, the streets of, you know, King Yeah, King. that handful of dung that hit Joffrey in the mouth was for the good of the realm, okay? <laughs> that was. It was. That was. <laughs> See? Everything is for the good of the realm. Anyways, uh, moving on to the next question, because it actually lends itself really well to what we've been discussing, which is, what do you think, uh, do you think young Alicent was genuinely friends with Princess Rhaenyra? Uh, or was she only scheming to get closer to the Targaryen family? You all know my answer. Now I want to hear yours. <laughs> let's start. I, I, I think we know where Constance and Uzma are at. So let's start with Sam. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I would probably, I guess I would say, I, I kind of think that maybe it did start as a genuine friendship, but I think that it was probably careful planning by... Like, like Otto Hightower, I think. I think it was kind of like mm -hmm. one of those, like, he put her, he was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to bring my daughter to court and, like, get her friends with, um, with the Targaryens and all this kind of stuff. So I think it maybe started as a genuine friendship, but then as things were kind of falling into place, I think it probably got pretty schemey by the end there. So, Solar, what do you think? I'm right there with you. I think the friendship was genuine despite... Um, Allison's attempts, you know, I, I really think it was, I am here for political gain and we shall do this and don't get too close. And you know, the princess is actually pretty cool. Like, no, no, no. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, the friendship itself, as I was reading through, um, um, the books, it reminded me of the audience reaction to Jamie Lannister. We didn't want mm. to like them. We had every reason not to like them. And as the story went further, we're like, oh, no, no. I Okay, I get it. Or, you know, okay, maybe maybe she would be good for the realm. Maybe she, no, no, I'm on mission. Bad guy. You know, and <laughs> this is really where I'm kind of sitting with that, you know. So I think that she went in with political machinations and found out that she was dealing with someone that wasn't made of fire, um, fiery, bloody evil. 
And there should be, if I were writing this, that should very much be a conflict within the Alisant Hightower um, character arc, along with mm -hmm. the political machinations of being pulled left, right, sideways, up, down, and who gets the knife this time? And is this story really <laughs> about the knife? Come on, George, just tell us it's about the knife and be honest, you know? <laughs> It's about so, yeah, the knife. So that, yeah, that's where I said. It's got to be about the knife. <laughs> it's about the knife. <laughs> well, I think that it's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lay the blame not on Allison, but on Otto. Mm. Yeah. True. I'm gonna say that it's, it's Otto's plan all along. To you know, he becomes hand of the king. He brings his daughter to the court. He makes her the uh, the nursemaid to the old king, and we know that we'll see the old king based off some of the the new stuff that's been revealed. Excited to go over that next week with y'all. Um. But I think that, that, that Otto is the one that said, hey, you two are close in age. Go be friends. Okay. With the full intent of building power through that friendship. Okay. Would you blame Otto or would you blame the system? Because that really seems like standard operating procedure. I'm the hand of the king. I've got a kid. Let's get that kid in with my boss's kid. Maybe we'll do some golfing. Maybe my kid will eventually you know? get to that seat. So. Yeah, that does sound more like how those circles operate with the who you know mm -hmm. being part of the whole package. Yeah, I, I think at that point it becomes less about the operating and more about how much machinations and schemes were reinforcing it from behind the scenes, right? Like how much was it just him saying, let's put these two together and see what happens? And how much was it him saying, let's put these two together and then kill all her other friends so she can only have the <laughs> one friend? <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. Like, maybe the yeah. high tower was doing this from behind the scenes. I, I did a nice yeah. callback. I see what you did there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what about you, Isma? I agree. My initial reaction was that uh, she was scheming, but... Uh, Solar's argument convinced me that it is possible. There is a possibility that Otto sent in. It was all Otto's plan and he sent in uh, to uh, get her to be friends with Renira. And maybe uh, she started to gen genuinely like her, at least in the beginning. It is a possibility. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. kind of sad. I think... Um any friendship with someone that wears a crown is ultimately doomed unless your name is Duncan. Because, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, because when we see Brendan Rivers and um, Aegon the Unworthy and Tywin and Ares the Mad and Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark and Davos Seaworth <laughs> and Stannis, like as soon as you get a crown, there's no room for friendship, you know. Yeah, and that and that's very accurate to history as well. Like you look at various kings and queens and you look at their favorites, the people who who are the closest to them, and somehow most of them end up without heads. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> most of them end up decapitated by that same best friend or that lover or what have you. They somehow something gets interpreted as treason and they die. <laughs> you know, that's what the history books say, but real life experience says, no, nah, they know too much. You know, they, that's why they I said, knew that I really was interpreted wasn't. as treason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, I'm the king now and I remembered I uh, owed you 20 bucks. And you know what I did Saturday night when I told my wife the car broke down. So, hey, Gallo's guy. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, that's definitely <laughs> what I see. <laughs> 
Oh, and you told my wife? Oh, I, I guess she's got to go too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's for the it's for the good of the realm. See, it's it's good of the realm. Good of the realm. The good of the realm. Except for maybe Ned and Robert, uh, the only reason uh, they initially had a fight was because Robert supported the murder of children uh, when what the mountain did and rewar- rewarded the Tywins for that. Uh, but he did yeah. fight the, uh, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And 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 Ned did still end up with his head chopped off. <laughs> Just not, I said it's only True. usually by the person who did it. <laughs> True. Yeah, gives me a uh, whole new perspective on doubting Thomas. It's like you know that guy. Ah, I yeah. don't know him. No, no. I'm, you know, I, I, we yeah. just work in the same building. That's all. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So the next question is: What do you, uh, do you think? Damon Targaryen was a good brother. Let's start with Solar. Mm, define good. Because we've got the good brothers like Kamala Khan and her brother. Or we've got the good brother like Stannis and Robert Baratheon. You know, so define good. (laughs) I'm going to say good in this case as in loving and supportive. Absolutely not. Um, Through no no fault of his own. Um, Again, just like being friends with someone who's powerful is almost impossible. Um, having that family tie is even deeper, you know, because it's like, hey, I want to be there to comfort you as you cry or, hey, let's play with your stuffed animal or your straw doll. However, if people see us being this kind of close, I can be used as a pawn against her or, you know, intimate relationships cause, um, are a source of leverage to the enemies. So... I think he's a good brother in the sense of understanding that and trying to keep his distance. Um, But yeah, as far as the standard of how modern day America would define a good brother, absolutely not, you know, because that's not the system or culture we're dealing with. What do you think, Constance? Uh, Well, it's hard to say. We, we know what he does in the books, right? And, uh, (laughs) We know what he has in the books, which I don't want to go into too much because I don't want to spoil it for anybody about what we're going to see in the, the weeks ahead. But I think that he did genuinely love Viserys in his own way, the way that he could love anyone or anything, right? Because of the way he was raised, the expectations of power and duty, like we spoke about in the very beginning, like Morgan was talking about. Um, he's loyal, and that to him is love. Ooh, and love languages. we'll see, we'll see yes. demonstrations of that in the series, like what he does for his brother, how he shows that he's loyal, and through that loyalty, he shows his love. That's that's my two cents, uh, Sam. I, I think he has his like moments of being a good brother. You know, I, I think that there's like some areas, but like as Constance says, like he is loyal, which I think makes him a good brother. Um, it's such a hard question because I guess like, because c- it's also, you know, we've seen so many times throughout Targaryen history where like the younger brother feels like they should be king over like the older brother and there's like the sibling rivalry as well. So like, and this is definitely a case of sibling rivalry. So like, I, I think that he has his moments overall. I think like if you did a poll of Westeros, I don't think that it would go in uh, Damon's favor. But, you know, I think he had his moments. Uh, Uzma, what do you think? 
I would say definitely he was a good brother. During the Great Council of 101 AC, he gathered, even though he was just 16 years old, he gathered armies to, uh, to support Viserys. And uh, even uh, after that, there have been many, many times when Viserys forced him to do a lot of things like marriage and all. He was not happy with uh, those uh, things, but he... Uh, even then he followed his orders. He never rebelled against Viserys. Just take a look at Renly. He instead of supporting <laughs> Stannis, uh, he, just because he wanted power, he rebelled against uh, Stannis. He raised his own banners. But Damon never did. He had the power of the city watch. He had men. But he always supported Viserys. Uh, and uh, even when he disagreed, he just uh, maybe, I'm not going to uh, go into many details. They had many conflicts and he, they always made up in the end. He always, uh, you know, kind of like the first person to give in. Uh, he always uh, did that. So I do believe in his own way, Damon loved Viserys and he was a good brother. Hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one because I think the only examples of good brothers specifically in this entire story come from um, the Lannisters, the Starks and the Reeds. Everyone else was just too caught up in stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, and not even all the Starks, like you had, you know, but honestly, I think the best brother sibling relationship that this book has put out so far was between Jamie and Tyrion, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. So there was love, it's hard yeah. to see like a different bellwether for what would be a good sibling relationship, you know? And, and the show gave us a little bit of John and Arya for a super like a swelteringly hot minute um but outside of that really you've got the reeds and the lannisters and that's about it you know cause... i would say ned and benjen mm, ned and ben yeah, we see we don't see much yeah we didn't get a lot you know but i don't agree about jamie and uh, Tyrion. what jamie did to Tyrion in the books was Way worse than than what any enemy could have done to him well like yes it but broke but Tyrion. You can only break someone that hard when there is so much love there already. Just and saying. Considering that sure. Jamie was in Tyrion's corner from childhood. <laughs> um, yeah. Like the only I'm, thing- I'm blaming Tywin. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, Bad parents. The real all villain the way. of Westeros. Yeah. <laughs> um But yeah, so like for me, um I I think Damon loved his brother. I think Damon respected his brother. I think Damon resented his brother. I think Damon did what he needed to do, and he supported his brother how he could because disloyalty would never occur to him. But I don't think that Damon really wanted to be around his brother. He wanted to support <laughs> him from afar. He wanted to do what he could. He wanted to do his part. He wanted to be a good brother, but it was too painful to be a good brother right there. I think that's the kind of love Damon has for Viserys, personally. But you can't really blame Damon for that. What Viserys no. did to him, like forcing to stay in a marriage he wasn't happy with, and many other things like removing from the small council and all that. 
Can you yeah. really blame him for that? <laughs> oh, absolutely not. I I definitely empathize with uh with Damon all the way. I do. But I also like myself a good anti-hero, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. This one uh, pulls back a little bit from the drama for a moment. Uh, if you were born into any house in Westeros, what house would you want to be born into? Doesn't have to be a great house. Any house in Westeros. Let's start with Constance. Uh, I'm a Tyrell girl. I would want to grow up in House Tyrell get the control of the reach you have the food you have the larger bulk of armies you have wine you have rivers for fish you have the oceans for trade you have everything you want it's absolutely beautiful there you know uh, high garden is supposed to be one of the most beautiful cities in, in all of westeros that that is where i would like to spend my days is is in is in high garden yeah and you'd only blow up in the sept it'll be fine <laughs> yeah, you know that, but that's in the future. If we're talking now. If we're talking during House of the Dragon. Then I'm fine. I don't have to yeah. worry about the set and blowing up. You know, and that's and again, that's only if that's how it actually happens. We don't know. We don't know if George is going to go that route. I'm hoping he doesn't. Uh, me too. But the musical piece, um, I do have to say, the musical piece called "The Light of the Seven is absolutely gorgeous and especially live but you know I'm, I'm one of those lucky enough to have heard it played live but yeah so i'm a tyrell um solar which house Ooh, i disagree with the premise of the question um so my first question is that uh is is bravos off the table you know what for you go ahead yeah honestly i would Bra i i love bravos so yeah I wouldn't be Westerosi if you paid me, okay? That's a continent full of crazy <laughs> people that do stupid things. I'm all about the Bravasi sword dancers and the Bravasi merchants, uh -huh. okay? Keep me far uh, away Bravo. from these crazy people doing their crazy stuff. I'm good being <laughs> Venetian in, in this, you know? And yeah. I'm a hydrophobe, so that says a lot. Um, if Bravos isn't <laughs> off the table, I think the only house from Westeros that doesn't put me in that state of mind is either Martell or Reed. Um, mm. If you guys haven't noticed, okay. I, I like to be from the houses of leave me out of this. This is between y'all. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, most of the great houses and even the lesser houses get caught up with their bannermen and stuff like that. So um, I would pick Reed because the Starks are very leave us out of this. You guys got your thing, we got our things. Not to mention Floating Castle, kind of with that. Um, and House Martell is the privileged family from Dorne. <laughs> um, so, so it's kind of like leave us alone. We'll join your little party when we feel like it. In the meantime, we're hanging out at the water park. But if and that's if I, if gun my head, I have to pick somebody from Westeros. But yeah, I disagree with the premise. Put me on Bravos. Just, just keep me out of this. I'm, I'm not in it. <laughs> not my bad. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Uzma. 
and definitely how smart is i mean being a woman in this country is very dangerous mostly you are either a pawn or used for some reason but dawn gives freedom to to women like uh, just look at obara sand the sand snakes in the books and uh, aryan martel and it's they are so badass like if you want to fight you can learn to fight you can do whatever you want uh, you have the freedom you have the power and no one is going to manipulate you so don uh, the house martel especially with their progressive views on people being born out of wedlock yeah not a big deal <laughs> sam <sighs> um i would pr- i guess i would I, I go oh man i don't know i would probably pick i like the errands because of their kind of like location kind of in the mountains you know and there it's like a pretty impenetrable force so like you know you're pretty safe up there but I also kind of like the Mormons because unless you trip, unless you trip, <laughs> I kind of like the Mormons as well. Though they're like off, you know, they just pissed off up to like some small island up north. It'd be frigid and cold, but like you know, it's probably got like a certain charm to it. You know, like just up in the winter, you've got kind of like you got the ocean right there. You probably get you maybe be able to see the wall a little bit. So like, I think I I pick one of those two. I'd say yeah. I feel like seeing the wall is probably not a good thing for a life choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> That's true. I, you know, now that I think about it, it's also terrible for uh, Ironborn raids. Like, I think that uh, wildlings come down and raid Bear Island, so... There's a reason the Mormons are so badass. It's because they have to fight all the time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Although, if you are looking for a nice island home away from drama, might I suggest Skagos? They have oh, yeah. unicorns. <laughs> there you go. They have yes. unicorns. Yeah. Yes. The terrifying you go, Unicorns definitely don't stab you. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, all right, so for me, uh, like Solar, I want to be left alone. However, I also want to be in control and have all the power. So I go with House Hightower, 100%. I think that was pretty obvious <laughs> when I said they were my favorite house earlier in the episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, House Hightower, I want to have the influence, I want to have the control, and I want to be left out of your petty squabbles. <laughs> and there will be books in the Citadel. <laughs> and yeah, I books. like books! I can sit back, play some chess, enjoy myself, just nerd out with people, and be like, hey, you hear there's a war going mm-hmm. on? Yeah! <laughs> hey. Well, you know what? I'll write you letters. I'm good with seafood and distance. Hey, you know what? Hightower's a great place. We've got a massive ravenry. We can exchange letters. It'll be fine. Yeah, except for when you're being raided by the Greyjoys. Yeah, but they raid down at ground level. I live up in the tower, okay? I'll be yeah. fine. Until Euron Greyjoy comes by with Cthulhu and just wipes out yeah, the exactly. entire city. <laughs> what is dead cannot die. Real yeah, real yeah. Greyjoy them for Thakken. You know? <laughs> Look, I am too powerful. Anyways, um, <laughs> I would survive uh, because I said so, and I have plot armor. I thought um, it would be because you know how to love, so you know, <laughs> you know you'll stay no, alive. No, I'm good with plot yeah. armor. I'm, I make myself the, the main character of my story. I'm happy. <laughs> that doesn't so, work in George R. R. Martin's world. There is okay. no plot armor. Yes, it does. The reason I say that it does is people. 
get upset when certain characters die. Those characters were never the main characters. They were just the more empathetic characters. Just because you enjoyed someone doesn't mean they were actually the main character. I don't know. Ned Stark got a lot of Ned chapters Stark. in his name. Uh, you know. <laughs> Ned Stark did get a lot of chapters. But what was the actual purpose of Ned Stark? Uncovering the mystery as it unfolded. That was all that Ned Stark was actually good for in the entire book. I'm just saying. So you saying. mean, as soon as the main character's purpose is served, then um, they're on the chopping block. Then, then they're so. toast, yeah. I'm yeah, just saying know. he was never a main character. He yeah. never was. Ooh, that's a, yeah. that's a spicy take. And I'm saying that Brown Ben, and Brown ben Plum makes it to the end. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. what I have to say. <laughs> that's my main character. Brown Ben Plum. In my opinion, the main characters are Daenerys, Jon, and Tyrion, and everybody else is a supporting role. No, that that's but a I fair love them set. All. Well, and Bran, I, I would throw Bran on that Bran. too. I, I, yeah, I would, w- I throw would Bran. throw Bran, Bran. Bran again. I feel like Bran's just a tool of the plot. Like he is. Like I don't really see him as a main character. He is on a path of discovery. He's there to show different things happening and how things work, just like. Ned was, but he is not. His actual story is not about self discovery and changing who he is. He's just kind of a victim of the story. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that applies to Rickon. Oh, Rickon. Hopefully, oh, he'll be yes, written well. to Serpentine. <laughs> yeah, well. Does it but then Arya luck. will be the main character too. Arya mm-hmm. and Sansa. All right. This next one, uh, I'm not going to call out names. I'm going to let you speak up. Uh, when things are important to you for this last question. Uh, so, there's been a lot of discussion on the casting for House Valerian, especially... If you can call it discussion. Yes, exactly. Uh, especially for Corliss Valerian, the sea snake. How do we feel about this casting choice? And what do we feel it means to the world and the viewers? Again, I'm not going to call on anyone... Just speak your minds. I'll go last on this one. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. I'll jump out there then. I think it's a great thing. I mean, we're looking at a world that is supposed to be diverse. It's supposed to have people from all over. I mean, we don't know what exactly people looked like in Lost Valaria, right? We know they had pale hair and pale eyes. That's the only description we ever get of them. They do not go into skin color. And besides, we don't know if there was varying skin tones or not look look anywhere around the world you're going to see people of different colors in different locations there is no one skin color that westeros needs to be there is no one skin color that bravos needs to be so the whole notion of oh they're the wrong color for 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 westeros is bullshit and i'll flat out say that so i the, the important part is they have silver hair that is the important part that is the part that sticks because that is a sign of their ancient blood yeah so I, that's and, that's my my opinion on that. Right. And I I'm going to piggyback on that in the fact that Old Valyria is analogous to ancient Rome, right? It's the Roman Empire. Uh Valyria being Rome itself. Guess what the ancient empire of Rome was? Diverse. It was massive. It had people from all over. People, wherever they went, they brought people back to the city of Rome, and the culture kept changing and establishing, and people intermingled, and there was tons of diversity. Um, 
and to pretend there wasn't is foolish uh, and whitewashing of history, which happens a lot. Um, and just the idea, like you said, that there's any particular skin tone or particular, even just a particular trait that is solely that that all Valerians had is just it, it's impossible. It, it the only reason that the white hair and the and the purple eyes are so common is inbreeding. It's not because <laughs> those were the dominant traits. It's because people just kept fucking their cousins. I think it, I, I think the the thing for for me is I don't I don't really understand why, like, when it comes to like what race people think someone's going to be or what they want them to be, I don't think that they focus so much on that point where it's like it almost becomes their excuse to be upset. They're like, oh, but the lore says this and the, and this is this. And it's like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, I don't really, like, I, it doesn't matter, like, the race of the character. Like, they're still that character. And it's like, you know, I, I'm a straight white man. There are a million straight white man characters in fantasy and sci-fi. Like, why can't there be more representation of non-white characters or or any or uh, non-straight characters or women characters like it doesn't really make much sense to me that people get so hung up on those details when it when it really shouldn't matter and it's it's still a character it's still part of the show and it's not going to make any difference to your show it's just giving more representation again this is coming from a straight white man so like i'm you know i'm never going to understand it fully so I, I, but anytime I hear someone getting upset about this, I, I never understand it because it doesn't, to me, it shouldn't matter. I believe it was a great casting. The only thing that's described in the books is that uh, the Valerians have uh, Valerian features. And uh, it's true, they have the silver hair, but nothing is mentioned about their skin. And uh, the Valerians uh, left uh, Valeria years before the Targaryens uh, so and they were seafarers they went to various uh, to all over the world so they could have married someone uh, somewhere and it could have been, everything could, could have been logically described in the books so I don't think there is an any issue uh, regarding this uh, in like there is no inconsistency with the story if that's because that's what I have I've heard a lot of people say that uh, it's inconsistent and how will they describe uh, the books uh, like um, how will they uh, differentiate between a bastard or a true born children so uh, they have a spe- specific feature set for house Valarian uh, they have darker skin and silver hair if you look at the image where house Valarian is entering every one of those have darker skin and uh, silver hair so uh, it can still be described and very well explained so I don't think there is a- any in inconsistency in this and even uh, Ryan Condal said that George R. R. Martin at some point uh, considered making the Valerians black but he uh, changed his mind and Ryan Condal said that we thought why can't we do it we should uh, do it on this we should be able to do it on show so that's why they went with it and I think it was a very good choice and there should be no issue regarding it what do you think Sola? Well, get comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) 
I will say content Let's warning go. because mouth is about to get really potty. Number one, people complaining about the casting of House Valeria. I'm going to approach this from a couple of different angles. Okay. Angle one. It is a woeful example of the failure of the American education system. And I will tell you why. Um, when fantasy comes out, Tolkien as fantasy or anything like that, most folks immediately think of the British Isles through the filter that they learned in school. Okay. Um, I'm right on the cusp of, of listening to people every time they complain about someone that looks like me getting a big role in a show, be it fantasy, sci-fi, whatever. And I know for the past two years, I've been fighting um, people's really high standard for Star Trek Discovery while they do not give one complaint about Star Trek Enterprise. And the main difference I see between the two is one is a captain that is a black woman and the other one was poorly written. And, um, and this is a really, really big thing that comes across. We saw it with the Lord of the Rings um, photos. But when I talk about this, um, I even saw some stuff complaining about black people being put on the show Vikings. And historically speaking, one, in modern day Africa, we have 52 different countries on that continent. 52 countries. That means large masses of lands with its own principalities, their own culture, their own education system. And only because of the American um, educational system do we think that everyone who looks like me in a fantasy setting is supposed to look like this. Okay. And I bring this up because, you know, oh, big, you know, big, scary black dude wearing leopard skin and all that stuff. And I also bring that up for um, for a very big reason, which is the photo that I just showed was of Stephen Toussaint, the, the actor playing the character in which we're talking. And um, this is how the American people complaining want to see and that's the only acceptable means that they can think of african-esque people through history now historically speaking africans were everywhere in the roman empire in the nordic place they had sailing they had technology in fact we know the name timbuktu because it was the seat of ancient knowledge outside of greece so this whole idea of Africans, simply slaves, whatever, that is, um, that is very much a failure of the American education system. The second is that this is not the first time we've seen Stephen Toussaint on a Game of Thrones show. But when he was playing the um when he was playing the character that he played last time there were no there weren't nearly as many complaints and that is um here yes he was playing servant to house martel okay the same actor in the same franchise have there been any complaints about them using an actor in the second part no nobody recognizes him um between um between the two roles and this is an established british actor now on the personal thing with the discussion 
um, about recasting rules of stuff. When these people can eat the corn out of my shit, I would actually be very happy with them if they were just honest and admitted out loud that what they think of as fantasy, their fantasy, is a world where there are no people of color, no women in power, no LGBTQ people, and no neurodivergent people. That is their actual fantasy, um, or what their behavior tells me their fantasy is. You know, um, in the books, we've stated three or four times in this episode that the only thing and the only description of anyone in house valerian are they have valerian features that's it white hair purple eyes done so black skin purple skin you know um and these conversations only come up when there is a black person in a quote period piece um be it future period or past period because no one talked about um how Middle Eastern or Spanish House Martell looked in the last show, you know? Um, so as soon as you see somebody that looks like me with power, then people are up in arms either saying, no, they're ruining the author's intent, like they go to lunch with George R. R. Martin twice a week or play historical miniatures games with him. Um, or they start setting these unreachable standards by not letting... Um, the show get away with what hundreds of shows in the past do. And this isn't a discussion. These are people saying, I don't want to see black people on screen. Okay. I don't want to see them on screen except for um, servants. It's the same thing with as soon as a woman gets power in a franchise, she's got to go mad and be put down, um, be it Daenerys, Cersei, or Wanda Maximoff, you know? And it is. Um, the only thing that keeps me from getting violent about this is the irony that most of these people could probably recite 70% of all lyrics from Hamilton, you know? So, I mean, it, it may sound funny, but when it's a segregated cast, it's okay. But when it's a black person in a white space, um, looking at you, John Boyega, um, then... It is a hell worthy trespass, worthy of all internet outrage and bloody fingers. And these people can take a giant swig of elephant bile, as far as I can, I'm concerned. Because um, we use the term diversity as strength, but we never get into why. And diversity becomes strength because we get richer stories, richer performances, and a whole lot more talent when we widen the pool outside of one single demographic you know um when black panther came out it was a black superhero and a black cast and there was one white guy and people were up in arms but that movie made billions of dollars because everybody's got money everybody wants to spend it and as long as we keep creating stories where people want to be told that they're the main character they are neo they are frodo um, we're limiting more than 70% of the global population out of the story by not including characters that look like them. You know, if we, if we stick to um, European or American Caucasian characters who are heteronormative, that means LGBT, out. Black, out. Brown, out. <laughs> um, and we are living in a global market. You know, 
And if we want them dollars from all those places that those people are, we have more options today than to go, well, this should, I, I do three or four different podcasts. And one of the podcasts I do, um, the main host of that one refuses to watch the former show because the show had about 22 black people. Okay. One was a pirate that didn't want to get involved. The main two that you saw most of the time were a slave and a eunuch, and everyone else was a slave freed by the little white girl. You know, and since we live in a time where media says this can be you too, that does a lot of damage to people that look like me saying the best that we can be is a servant. You know, we can cut off the heads of people for our spanish looking masters or we'll need a cute little white girl and don't get me wrong i love emilia clark i think she is an amazing actress and what seems to be a pretty cool person um but my place is in chains until she comes along and beats up my slave masters with her recently freed slave that can never breed that's a bad look <laughs> you know that's a really bad look and since HBO and George R. R. Martin are trying to um, fix that, they're trying to do something different by putting these forth, all the people that are resisting need to take a long damn look in the mirror, you know, and at least admit to themselves that they're suffering soft discrimination, if not outright hard. And I actually have more respect for the people that will just drop the N-bomb and boycott the show. M much more respect. Um, than the people who are saying it's ruining the author's intention or whatever because they're lying at least to us, let alone to themselves, you know. So, yeah, those people can take a long walk off of a pier that's three steps long, as far as I'm concerned. And if they want to at me, I'm here. I'm here. But until they can admit out loud that their fantasy is a world without me or mine in it, then they don't have a leg to stand on, you know? And so many of these conversations are reaching when it comes to their reasoning for not liking it because um, if you take, say, Star Wars fans, for example, when they talk about how John Boyega shouldn't be a stormtrooper, um, I can point out a hundred different plot holes in A New Hope. I can point out a bunch of bad camera angles, terribly said lines, horrible... Um, you know, horrible special effects by today's standards, but that gets a pass. But the idea of this character leaving the Empire, you know, a hundred stories about I was on the bad guy side, then I went to the good guy side. Um, and these people are saying it's bad for, um, it's bad for um, John Boyega to do it, but they'll still tout their love for Prince Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. These people can go to hell. I'm done. I'm done with those people, you know, so that's where I'm saying, you know, um, being an actor, I've always been about who can play the role the best, who can compel the audience to look, who can elicit an emotional response. And Steve Toussaint is from the Royal Court Theater in London, <laughs> okay, from the country that practices the craft. He is more qualified, um than most actors that you see on TV to play any role on this show. And the fact that he was hired for his qualifications goes out the windows because, well, I don't think he should be black. Please get the hell out of here. 
you know, especially since these are the same people that say there are no qualified black people or women by saying that people slept their way to the top or they got hired by affirmative action. They need to read a damn book. So sorry about the angry rant. And when I say sorry, I'm saying I'm sorry that I didn't cuss more. But yeah, so that that's where I'm sitting with that. <laughs> you know, I was going to say no need for apology. I, I actually really liked listening to you. Oh, well, my next rendition will be Danny Boy as saying in the style of deicide um, coupling with Sepultura. <clears throat> no, I'm kidding, kidding. <laughs> ah, don't make us <laughs> promises you can't keep. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> if we get good fans, then I'll do a rendition of it on the season finale, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you hear that, fans? Tell your friends. Um... All right, that was it for my questions. Back to you, Sam. All right. Uh, For our final segment, we have Fans of the Dragon, where Uzma and Constance will give us trivia, polls, all you Uzma and Constance. All right. So let's start with this week's trivia, shall we? Uh, We discussed who our favorite characters are. But at one point, Sam said who his main character was. (laughs) Who was that? (laughs) <laughs> who was sam's main character during our discussion in the uh, fire and blood segment so there's your trivia question <laughs> go ahead and uh you know use use our socials which we'll give to you at the end of the show to uh, respond and uh those that get the answer right will uh set you up with a maester's rank and eventually you could win some fabulous prizes made by yours truly and you're answering so, the questions uh, for the good of the realm and definitely, uh, you know, if you want to let me know what you think my answer was, because I totally don't even remember what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Good job, I have. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Um, but Uzma, do you have a poll for us this week? Okay, so the poll of this week was, do, uh, do you think young Allison was genuinely friends with Princess Rhaenyra? Or was she scheming uh, only to get closer to the Targaryen family? And 54% of people voted for plotting to get closer. So the majority of the fandom (laughs) thinks Rhaenyra was actually plotting (laughs) to get closer. Uh, And I can see why they will think that way. Because uh, she was taking care of the old king. She was a lady of a noble house. And yet uh, she was taking care of a sick old man. And uh, she, after that, she got uh, she became friends with Princess Rhaenyra, and then uh, she married. Is it a spoiler? I I don't think it's a spoiler that she becomes queen. We've talked about her a lot because everyone, yeah. <laughs> so uh, so and then she married uh, King Viserys. So uh, I can see uh, why um, everyone would get to that uh, that decision, but. I've changed my mind now because <laughs> it is possible. <laughs> you guys have convinced me Burgesses. that it is possible that Sarato's high tower was pulling the strings. And maybe she, her heart completely wasn't in it. Man. At least in the beginning. <laughs> and y'all are a bunch of suspicious people, man. <laughs> Plotting to get closer. Over. Not me, apparently, which is weird. Somehow I okay. end up the trusting person. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and now it's time for... Who's that Dragimon? Who's that Dragimon? 
This week we're going to feature on a yellow gold dragon with scales burning bright. A dragon fit for royalty indeed, written by Princess Rhaenya, who named her mount for an ancient goddess of doom Valaria in 104 AC when they took their first flight together. This dragon was truly a mother of dragons, as she laid several clutches of eggs and gave several Targaryen princelings their mounts. Her most notable offspring was the dragon Morning, whose beautiful pink color delighted the small folk, but terrified one of Targaryen blood. A Targaryen? Afraid of dragons? Well, that's another story to tell another day. But today we celebrate one of the most dragons that we will see prominently in House of the Dragon, Renaria's beloved Cyrax. That's it for Who's That Dragimon? And you can uh, give us uh, your feedback and response. And if you have any queries or questions, contact us on our social media, uh, on our Facebook by the name uh, Watch Party of Eyes and Fire, or on Twitter at A-P-W-O-I-A-F. That is short for a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. Awesome. And that is the end of our episode. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we are your hosts, Solar. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Oh, wait. I'm always here. Thank you guys for tuning in. Constant. Y'all have a great night. Morgan. Good luck. <laughs> Uzma. Villa Mogulis. And myself, Sam. Uh, have a good evening and Valor Mogulis. <laughs> <laughs>